When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I am joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And nobody else. Nope, just me. Yeah, so it makes even more valid the time when we did the practice one where it's just the two of us. Uh, yeah, this um, it, it is because this is the third one that we've had to do on our own now, this, I think. Yeah, second one post the, the, the trial episode. Exactly. Second yeah. time we've been left to our own devices by somebody being able to make it at the last minute yeah yeah um two i mean callum uh has had to drop out this for this episode and originally tony black uh was also down for this episode but uh tony's requested to change his slot and uh he wants to come on to the episode next week when we'll be reviewing blair witch so i thought fair enough we've got contingency plan it's all good yes um but there will be no quiz this week there will also be no what we've been watching we've replaced a quiz with nothing mm-hmm. we've replaced what we've been watching with a hastily arranged triple bill of our favorite drunk performances in film or actors playing drunk people or something Drink- drunks on film yes I think, was it yeah yes so um, whatever we define that to mean mm, i guess um yeah and plus new releases of of, of ben-hur and don't breathe and what was the other one that's it no no just, that's uh, just it. those other- two the other one was Kubo and the Two Strings, which uh, I only saw a trailer for last week. Um, I actually thought it looked really good. And I wanted to see it on Saturday. Uh, and me and my wife, we were both ready to go and then found out it's only on in 3D. And uh, my wife wasn't feeling particularly well. So that was the end of that, really. I ended up going to see Don't Breathe on my own. So. Mm. Yeah. Hear about... No, actually, we stayed in and watched The Guest on Netflix, uh, which was also directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett, the two guys who worked on Blair Witch. So there, there was some logic in the, the choice of film for staying in and, and watching on a Saturday evening. Okay. Um, mm. Well, uh, we'll start <laughs> off. We'll start off with the news then, as the, as there's no quiz, and yeah. the. Um, the first bit of news is that uh, Dev Patel's new film Lion is um, going down a storm at Toronto Film Festival, leading on to whispers of, of Oscar nominations. Uh, and in the film, much like his last um, big success, Slumdog Millionaire, it's about an impoverished young Indian boy. Although, according to Patel himself, mm-hmm. it's thematically and tonally completely different to Slumdog. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, basically, from the article that um, I read on BBC, he uh, said that Slumdog has a frenetic energy and this film is a sweeping story. It's a mother's and son story. So, you know, maybe he has a point and people are just comparing the two films because it's that guy and he's Indian. And there you go. You know, it, it's an easy... Um, uh, you know, it's an easy 
similarity for them to to spot and to leap on and to build into something that that links the two films. But you know, it's, it's a bit cheap, really. Uh, the first first two paragraphs of this article on BBC uh, Dev Patel film Lion roars into Toronto both make reference to Slumdog, which is immediately like denied in the very first quote that they use from him. Um, you know, it's a very typical way of constructing a story. There's nothing wrong with how it's written or anything. I just think that it's a it's a bit of an easy comparison. Um, but you know, without seeing the film, I'm also just going on guesswork here. And it could be entirely the same, um, for all I know. But yeah, it's his his right as an artist to deny the comparisons and to say, don't just stereotype me because I'm. Indian and playing a character who has a a poor backstory, or backstory as being yeah. poor, I should say. Yes, um, but like I said, it's, got, it's also seems to be being received quite well as well. So, mm. uh, which some dog was as well. so yeah. it makes it easier for them to compare the yes. two. Eight Oscars apparently, eight Oscars for Slum Dog. I really like that film. I think it's really good. Very. Um, uh, phew, not exciting. That's the wrong word. But it's got that, energetic. that Danny Boyle. Yeah, yeah. It's got the, <laughs> energetic. Yeah, it's got that Danny Boyle um, style to it. Mm. that Keeps you watching it, and the story is very moving. And I know it was criticised because of some of the uh, torture scenes in it. Some it gets very dark at, at certain points in that movie. Um, in fact, my uh, mother-in-law watched. Slumdog Millionaire and hated it because she got to the point where it was uh, quite sort of seedy and, and violent uh, and she just thought I'm not watching this it's just torture porn basically which is quite interesting for a film that was received so well in the Oscars normally they hate anything like that yeah yeah have you seen Slumdog I have way? yes and did you like Slumdog as well I did it's been a long time since I've seen it but I, I did like it yes yeah I can't believe that Dev Patel is 26. I just, uh, I, it, in my mind, he's at least as old, if not older than you and I. I just to... keep thinking he's younger. Oh, really? He's... You, um... yeah. well, oh. He doesn't He doesn't look 26 when I see him in things. He's got a very boyish mm. face, hasn't he? Yeah. The Oli Gunnar Solskjaer of the film world. Yes, I think that's a comparison that's probably been drawn multiple times. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> on to the other bit of news. We're going back to comic books. We don't seem to have done comic book news in at least a week. <laughs> um, and that is that Joe Manginello has been confirmed as playing Deathstroke in Ben Affleck's first solo Batman film. I don't really know much about comics, Owen. So who is Deathstroke? Uh, he is an assassin. Um who's um he is quite a big rival of batman i think the the backstory i read in one comic ages ago was that at some point batman was trained under deathstroke but of course deathstroke uses guns and kills people hence his name um and you know that's where batman does not uh have uh strict following of his uh of deathstroke's training but the in terms of the film itself, I mean, I'm surprised that Deathstroke is the main villain, or what we assume will be the main villain for the new Batman film. Um, because I was having a, a look elsewhere online, and so far as I can tell, he's the only uh, actor who's been cast as a villain so far, or confirmed to be playing a villain. Uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, Joe Manganiello is, it will be playing Deathstroke, and that's it. There's no other hint of who the other villains could be. Um, no hints about whether Deathstroke's going to be in the Justice League movie. Um, it just seems a little bit underwhelming, I guess. But then, you know, we've had, how many times have we had Joker, Penguin, Bat, uh, fucking, what's his face, Riddler? Um, all the, the sort of big villains of the, the Batman world, his proper big rogues gallery. Uh, which is what was so good about Suicide Squad, in a way. I know that's people are automatically going to go, there was nothing good about Suicide Squad. But the, it did take some of the lesser-known Batman villains. Um, 
uh, or DC villains in general, you know, as well as having Jared Leto as Joker in there. We also had um, Jay Courtney as Captain Boomerang, for example. It had Killer Croc. It had uh, Slipknot. It had all these people that will not be as familiar to most movie audiences. So it, maybe if it's some way trying to draw on uh that aspect of the what DC are going for they're going to put slightly lesser known batman villains into the the foreground it might work it might work but you know none of their films have been universally praised so far have they no um captain captain boomerang just sounds stupid <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a crap name. But well, it'll be Sarge, a... Sergeant Bloody Didgeridoo. Sergeant Didgeridoo. Yep. Um, what would, what else would you have? Uh, shrimp on a Barbie man. Is that super super Shane Warren? Super Shane Warren. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously the the difference um, the main difference will be that this is being directed by Ben Affleck. Which gives a lot of people more hope. Yeah, whenever I mean, they see Zack Snyder's name on it. Be an interesting direction, a different direction to what Snyder generally does. I think. Um, hopefully, it will be good, and they'll just let him have control of the DC cinematic universe. Just say, "Go on, Ben, do what you, do what you want. You're doing well here. You can make, yeah, you I mean, can make a film. Go for it." Mm. Yeah, I mean, I hope hope Ben Affleck does well with it, and. If he does well, then I hope he continues to do well. I also hope at the same time that Zack Snyder does well with Justice League and that he's allowed to continue to make films and does well at, at that as well. I mean, I don't really care as long as it's a good movie. Wow. That's yeah. like the bottom line is as long as it's good. I mean, the the the, the, the only... Well, not the only issue, but the, one of the broader issues for DC now is that having Zack Snyder's name just you know on the actual poster or associated with the film is automatically now going to turn a lot of people away mm. um it's sort of, i don't want to say toxic i don't think that's fair it's not toxic it's just that you know in the same way that um um someone like uh danny dyer used to have a career where people would say he's toxic to work with because he only makes bad films and those films that you'll be in with danny dyer will not do well yeah it's similar now where Zack Snyder is uh, seen as you don't really want to be in a Zack Snyder film. It'll make a lot of money, but it will be critically panned. Um, which, you know, is a shame. I, I still I still have uh, faith in him. I've said ever since I first saw um, Watchmen and before that Evil Dead... Uh, and 300 i still think at some point with the right script he will make a properly good movie like a really great film i think his style as a director just needs a little bit of an anchor to it someone who can just give it a bit of uh depth beyond the the visual flair um which so far at least you know, since Watchmen hasn't really truly materialised. Although I'm a really big fan of Man of Steel. I think Man of Steel's great. But anyway, I'm sort of slightly going off topic now. We're meandering all over the place. Mm. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting that I, I mean, have we had a, a another villain announced for this this first standalone Batman film? Have we had a? An... No, that's what I mean. It's literally just Deathstroke. Which. Um, I don't know comics, but is Deathstroke a big enough villain to carry a film? Um, I mean, you would have thought that with Jared Leto in place already playing a Joker in Suicide Squad that they would have announced him for this Batman film if they were going to use him. Um, so, you know, are they going to is they, are they going to announce something else soon? Are they going to announce another, you know, are we going to have a, a Riddler or Penguin or a, a Bane? Or... Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, they may... The, the the thing is, though, with almost all superhero films these days, is they can't just have one villain, can they? No. You can't just have a Tim Burton-esque Batman versus Joker. You've got to have something else in there. Even, you know, Batman Begins had 
um, the, you know, Maroni and Falcone uh, and all these sort of criminals uh, and, and gangsters, as well as having, you know, Rachel Ghoul. It's it's like it, it can't just be one. Yeah. Main focus. Mm. And even when it is, they then slip in other people like, you know, Scarecrow was in that film. Uh, was Zaz even mentioned in that one, or did he come in one of the later films? I can't I mean, remember. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like that. There's no way they'll stick to just like a no. Two Face and de- a Deathstroke. No, you can bet your bottom dollar if they put in uh, Deathstroke as as the main villain, other villains will pop up in some guys. They may even pinch some from Suicide Squad. You never know. So you know, might get. Jared Leto's Joker cropping up in Arkham Asylum or, you know, I don't know, Margot Robbie might appear as Harley Quinn or they might sneak Catwoman in there or they might just go, oh, well, we'll stick in, you know, fucking Robin. We'll put Robin into this movie. Mm. Um, or, you know, the fact that in in um, the uh, Batman versus Superman, you see the Robin costume. In a sort of case, yeah, a glass case with you know something written on it, which off the top of my head has escaped me. Um, which basically indicates that it was Jason Todd and he was killed by um Joker, yeah, uh, which is a famous storyline from, from one of the comics. And so maybe it could be the Red Hood who crops up as the main villain and they're just trying to keep it a bit secret. Uh, who knows, really? Who knows? I guess it's still kind of. Early days. I mean, it doesn't come out for another few years, does it? Is it 2018, no, I, I think? I think so. Who would you like to see as the main villain? Um, well, I would like them to go down the route of it being uh, maybe just one. Um, and I would sort of pit Batman as the great detective, you know, as the detective who um, uncovers plots by maybe someone like the Falcone family maybe someone like the Maronis or a push maybe someone like Riddler you know give him a proper uh proper show at this and, and you know you can make it into this you don't have to have a big punch-up and I think the thing is having having someone like Deathstroke versus Batman you just know exactly how each act of this film is gonna pan out you know it's gonna end with a big showdown you're going to see Deathstroke shot from over his shoulder, looking directly at Batman, who just throws down whatever weapon he's holding. Cut to an over-shoulder shot of Batman looking at Deathstroke, who then throws down whatever weapon he's holding, and they have a big punch-up. And then it ends. You know, it's yeah. kind of like... It's 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 just a little bit too basic. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would rather see a less smashy-bangy action movie and maybe something a bit more focused on the fact that you know batman's a scientist and so he can do his sciencey things how about you have you got any ideas who you might like to see or what you think might make it a bit more interesting i I don't know i think riddler just in some ways is a bit similar to joker in the way that you're going to portray him it's like a bit of a manic i know Mm. yeah i know they they've got different gimmicks or, or whatever you want to call it, but they're, they're both going to be trade as kind of these manic, eccentric bad guys. Mm-hmm. And I can just see if you go with Riddler, you're going to get a performer, somebody who's going to take it the same way as the Joker, whether it's Leto's Joker or Ledger's Joker, and it will just lead to comparisons and won't be very different. Um, yeah, sure. Penguin always just seems a bit silly to me. <laughs> Have you uh, watched Gotham? No. See, now, lots of people dislike Gotham because it is quite a trashy TV show. Yeah. Uh, and it's set, for those who don't know, it's set when Bruce Wayne is a little kid. Right? It's set when he's a kid. His parents have just been murdered and it's about Alfred trying to raise him whilst at the same time Jim Gordon is trying to rise through the Gotham uh, police department. And he's, you know, because eventually he becomes commissioner, but at the minute he's just a detective. Yeah. So the the that side of it is really quite good in Gotham. You have the criminal aspect to it. You have, a, you know, I mean, they can't resist throwing in names that everyone will know, like Penguin, and you know, <laughs> they throw in um, 
Hugo Strange was in the last series mm. um, and, and all these sort of villains, as well as bringing in people like Fish Mooney um, and various other characters that they want to, to, to that they can do that with. Um, but it, what's interesting about that is it's, it's the Gotham Police Department versus these criminals and Batman doesn't exist at all. Yeah. So that's a really interesting concept and I think it works um, quite well, particularly the second series of that was really good TV. It was good. I mean, it is it is trashy, it is pulpy, but there's there's a lot going on there. They're exploring lots of different um, concepts, lots of different ideas. And so I think they, they it doesn't get enough credit. In terms of that show and how the Batman and Superman world that's being built in the movies compares, they're, they're just worlds apart. Um because mm. obviously the Batman, Super League, uh, Justice League, Superman, Wonder Woman films, they're just multi-million dollar budget blockbusters. And they try to do everything, you know. And it's it's a little bit of a shame that there's, there's no subtlety to Gotham, but the way that it, it brings through these characters, and particularly Penguin, who's like a standout character from that show, um, you will never see him. Because it's just completely impossible to see a character that's been developed in the way Penguin has in the movies. Yeah. So, yeah, Peng- it's, it's, Penguin's really good in that, but it's just never going to happen. We'll never get a Penguin like that on, on the big screen. Mm. In this week's return to Triple Bill, as mentioned at the start of the podcast, we're going to uh, pick our three favourite um drunk film performances um, and that was rather open as to how to interpret that. Um, Owen, do you want to start yeah. us off? Well, I'll just explain that basically what happened was um, <laughs> because we had a couple of people drop out of this podcast, you know, we just sort of sat there and like, hmm, we have only seen two of the new releases that are out and there isn't much to say about Ben-Hur. So what are we going to do with ourselves? And uh, we put it out on Twitter, asked for people to suggest. I gave like a half an hour window. But actually, it was my bus ride home today. If anyone could have suggested a triple bill to us to do on the bus ride home, we would have uh, picked it up. And uh, one of those suggestions came from Paul, uh, Paul Field, who um, said drunks on film. Literally just drunks on film. I don't know whether that means we were supposed to pick people like, you know, Oliver Reed or Richard Burton, or whether we were supposed to pick people who were uh, actual you know, characters with drunks. I really wanted to include Robert Hayes in Airplane, you know, and the fact he has a drinking problem. Mm. It's a brilliant gag. Uh, I wanted to choose Jackie Chan because he is the drunken master, of course. Uh, or Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski, but that's just, like, my opinion, man. Oh, I'm fire with the the gags today, Steve. I, I know. You need to be put out yeah, of your misery. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably the audience who need to be. Um, but uh, instead, I went for a couple of perfumed ponces who accidentally go on holiday in uh, Bruce Robinson's With Nail and I, and specifically Richard E. Grant as Withnail, the uh, actor of exorbitant talent, as demonstrated by uh, his, his little Shakespearean gambit at the end of the film, but who's clearly a loser in life. Um, he's got a rich dad who could at any minute sort out all of his and Marwood's problems, Marwood being the I in Withnail and I, um, who's never mentioned by name. But um, instead of sorting out their shit, uh, he'd rather go and get pissed all the time, just get completely off his face. Have, have you ever seen With Nile and I, by the way? Um, no, I haven't. Okay. I'm not sure like how well it's supposed to be received now. I mean, it's definitely a cult comedy. Lots of people absolutely love it. But I have seen reviews pop up every so often. Uh, over on Letterboxd of people who've watched it now for the first time and just don't get it, mm. don't like it. Um, so I don't know whether it's meant to be one of these films. It's a little bit of its time. I mean, I only saw it about five years ago. Um, and I just thought it was a really funny film. 
uh, I mean, everything to do with with Nail is funny in this. With his exchange with uh, Danny the dealer about how he could take double any of the chemicals he could give him is just hilarious. Uh, yeah, of course, everything with Richard Griffiths as Uncle Monty is funny as well, uh, particularly when uh, Paul McGann is scared of getting buggered by Uncle Monty, but really just wants to take advantage of the situation whilst they're on holiday and just get completely drunk. Um, it's just a really interesting film as well. There's lots to find in it. You know, there's no heroes of any note. There's no particularly good people. Um, with Nails, just like a selfish drunk. Marwood is just a really cruel and nasty person deep down. Uh, it's kind of superficially puts up with other people. It's just a, it's got a film that's about paranoia. It's about friendship. It's about alcoholism. It's about being broke in Britain. And, you know, the context of the fact that it's made in the 1980s, although set in the 1960s, it doesn't really matter too much. It's just a really good comedy. There's so many different angles to view it from. Um, and always, whichever lens you look at it through, it's just Richard E. Grant as with now, which is just like the shining light throughout that film. So, yeah, I'd recommend if you haven't actually seen it, Steve, see if you can dig it out and, and see what you make of it. It's, uh, it's it's hilarious. Okay, first one I'm going for is from 1996, and that is Randy Quaid's character in Independence Day, Russell Case, <laughs> who is um, a constantly drunk former alien abductee mm-hmm. who manages to, while still drunk, pilot a fighter jet and save the Earth. Yep. Um, Kamikaze just, style. Yes. I mean... I couldn't ride a bike while drunk, so quite frankly, to get a <laughs> pilot a fighter jet is, is amazing. Um, so many people around here, because I live in like the sticks, they try and cycle on the way home from the pub. Oh, it's just so hilarious. Many people do that round. There's some nice country pubs around here. Yeah. And people yeah. cycle to them, have a couple of drinks. One of them I saw come off their bike on a hill and had the ambulance called out. And it's like, well, there you go. Mm. Point proven. Mm. Don't do it. Don't drink and drive. And a bike yeah. is probably less safe than a car if you're on a road. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> that's true. I mean, the fact that if you just pushed your bike or just left the bike there and collected it the next day. But I guess when you're drunk, you're not really no. able to make these logical decisions. Well, are you? No, I don't know if Russell Case's um, <laughs> decision was logical. But it, it, it's, I mean, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here now. That's true. I think. He was a hero to us all. Yes. Um <laughs> But yeah, he, he he portrayed a drunk quite well in that film, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was method acting. Mm. We'll never know. No. Um, what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick is Ryan Gosling in The Nice Guys. And uh, maybe it's because I just seem to like Ryan Gosling performance. Maybe performances, I should say, in the plural. Or maybe it's just because I love Shane Black that I love this film. So much, because it, it's just a bloody good movie. It's, I, I don't know, detective, noir, private investigator, comedy style hijinks. It's great. It's got um, Ryan Gosling as a kind of drunk PI who solves crimes and uses his drunkness to his advantage, such as falling down a large um, hill and discovering a dead body. And it's just a... It's you saw it as well, didn't you? Yeah, the nice guys earlier this year. Yeah, it's it's just such a it's one of the best films of the year, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, and I think the greatest scene in terms of him, uh, of, in terms of Ryan Gosling's character looking like a, a, a drunk but still being with it, is the kitchen scene where he, he's just driven his daughter home. Uh, oh no, sorry, it's the other way around. His daughter's just driven him home, and he had to stop at a bar on the way back to meet Russell Crowe, and then in the kitchen. Um, quite early on in the morning uh, Russell Crowe's trying to explain what they need to do and getting a bit fed up because Ryan Gosling's clearly just pissed and so he decides to storm out and then just like Gosling turns to him and throws a couple lines at him that shows actually he has been listening he has been paying attention and the clue 
that um, he's picked up from what uh, Russell Crowe said was actually incorrect. It means this. And it's just a really great moment, especially because it turns out that it's a bust. And it's just, <laughs> you know, actually, he was wrong. But it's just a really cool moment in the film. Um, well, just Ryan Gosling's just really cool anyway. I saw it twice in the cinema in the end, and I, I just loved it, and I loved his performance both times. Um, but yeah, def- definitely one of my favourites of the year and uh, easily made it onto this. In fact, it was the first name I put down on this list um, before I rejigged the order. But uh, yeah, yeah, there we go, Ryan Gosling. Okay, my second choice, and I promise that I haven't all gone for just silly comedy choices, <laughs> have got quite a serious one to finish off on, um, which will be a surprise when compared to these other two. But I'm going for, for, for old school and Will Ferrell as Frank the Tank going streaking. Nice, okay. Because <laughs> that's just funny. Yep. Just him him interacting with Snoop Dogg and his entourage and then just running through the street naked on his own because no one else is streaking with him. Mm-hmm. It's just brilliant. I love old school and I love stupid comedies like that uh, and those kind of, you know, yeah. that stable frat, of... Frat humour. Yeah, right. and those that stable of, of comedians from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm... I just, not much to say about it. It's only one scene. It's not kind of a an elongated performance with lots of, of mm-hmm. talking points. But yeah, that one. It's been so long since I've seen that film. Yeah. Is he is he a, is he actually a drunk in that? Do they make he, any other reference? Yeah, to that he's or? he's kind of um, because when he drinks, he becomes Frank the Tank. He's kind mm-hmm. of um, somebody who should who is getting off the booze, but then goes back onto it. Um, but I don't think he's ever made out to be an alcoholic. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's just more made out to be an absolute wrecking ball when he's drunk. Mm, I see. Rather than kind of them taking the mick out of alcoholism. It's just, yeah, don't yeah. drink because this. If, if you drink, you will destroy your house. Yeah, right. Uh, what's, what's your final choice, Owen? Uh, okay, I went for a, a slightly more serious one than the two. Not much, but I mean, I, I'm, he was mentioned on last week's podcast in passing. Um, but John Wayne as Rooster Cogburn in the 1969 Western True Grit, oh. for which he won an Oscar. Yeah. Mm. Um, great film, great performance. Uh, you know, he's a proper drunken US Marshal who's travelling across the Old West. And it's, it, I mean, he might be pissed all the time, but he can still shoot shit out of the air. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, it will at least give it a try. I just think it's, it, I, I really like John Wayne now. I never used to. And one of the films that turned me on to him, along with uh, The Searchers and um, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, was True Grit. Um, because he's just cool as fuck in this film. I think this film, perhaps uh, more than any other as well that he was in, kind of typifies the Duke. It's sort of the character that most people would, in their minds, associate him with. Um, Because uh, I also found out John Wayne lobbied for the part of Rooster Cogburn. He he wanted this film to be made and he wanted to play Rooster after reading the, um, the novel by Charles Portis that it was adapted from. So clearly he had a vision of how to play the character, how he wanted the character bit to to, to actually be on screen. Um, and I think it, 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 it nails it, at least in terms of showing you his his idea and his vision for, for the character. It works really tremendously well. Uh, I have seen the sequel to this starring Catherine Hepburn called Rooster Cogburn, which was released in 1975. And, you know, it's... Fine, but clearly Wayne was just addled with illness at that point. Um, but still, it was okay, and it's it, um, yeah, it's just not a patch on the original, is it? Uh, I also mentioned Jeff Bridges earlier for Big Lebowski because he's a yeah. drunk in there. But obviously, he plays Rooster in the Coen Brothers mm. remake of True Grit, uh, and again, he really nails the drunken side of the character well. Yeah, because you can't understand a single word he slurs. Um, so yeah, he's got a knack for playing it. But perhaps Wayne, uh, the Duke himself, he just bosses it. It's uh, I love this film, and uh, the character is one of the 
the most likable versions of any character that John Wayne plays. Um, my final choice is Jaws <laughs> with, okay. with the um, Roy Scheider, uh, Robert Shaw, mm-hmm. and Richard Dreyfus in the in the boat as they are hunting down Jaws, and they're they're drinking um, below deck in the cabin and swapping their their war stories, mm-hmm. uh, their, the stories of where their scars came from, um, and then Quint goes through the the story about being on the U.S. S. Indianapolis um, mm-hmm. in World War Two, and the sharks attacking, attacking them, and everyone who was in the water, um, and it kind of it kind of changes the tone of the scene really well because they're all kind of, where well, they're kind of joking about and having a bit of, of banter as three guys do, and then he comes out with this this brilliantly told story about how. He was ended up in shark infested waters after it was delivering the, the nuclear bomb for Hiroshima, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think that's what it was, or it was something like that, anyway. It was something yeah. involving Japan and World War II and how many people went into the water and how many came out when they were rescued. Mm. And it, it's just a great scene. And until we kind of started looking at, at drunk scenes, I didn't really remember that bit as them being drunk, but of course they were because they were drinking and, and mm-hmm. you know, telling their stories and, and everything. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it is a great. He's a really iconic, uh, drunken character as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's been spoofed so many times. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the um, a kind of a spoof uh, of him when. Um, did you ever see the Blackadder episode with the the guy with no legs? Yeah, and he's on the yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure that's possibly a spoof of that. Yeah, it as could well. well be thinking about it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's been so many. A family Guy did one where they put, ended up playing oh, yeah. I Have Never yeah. on, a, on a boat. Uh-huh. On a boat. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, um, that, that rounds off um, Triple Bill. Mm. Um, we got through that quite quickly. Yeah, but thanks to everyone who sent in suggestions. Brooker's not entirely serious suggestion of picking three films that... Um, that have that have good good enough soundtracks tra- soundtracks to them that you could uh, shag to them whilst at Butlins or other caravan parks are available. Mm. Of course, uh, we also had uh, because I've spent today and will be spending this week at BBC Oxford, the radio station. Nice little plug for myself there. Um, we had Upper Tier Steve on Twitter who suggested radio films. And gave us just plenty of, of choice. I mean, immediately, um, I thought of stuff like uh, Pontypool. Yeah. Yeah, which is a good one. Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, completely forgot about Alpha Papa. Yeah. I was a bit disappointed I forgot about that. But, you know, there's, there's loads. Talk Radio, Midnight Caller, Airheads, he says. The Boat That Rocked, Gross Point Blank, The Fog, Play Misty for Me. I mean, it just came out with this reel of them. I know, no, we'll have to get up at here, Steve, to do a podcast with us and just do that triple bill because yeah. he's got so many, apparently. But, you know, thanks to, to everyone who um, who conversed with us on this. And uh, I guess congratulations to Paul. Do we congratulate for this? But he was chosen anyway. Yeah. For getting pissed with Jonathan Sothcott. That's, I think that's the inspiration for this. Okay. Um Yes, thanks, Paul, for your suggestions. Um, <laughs> you're always welcome here. Time now for us to review a couple of new releases from the last week or so. I'm going to kick us off with a review of the 2016 version of Ben-Hur, starring Jack Houston as Judah Ben-Hur and Tony Kebbell as Masala, which I thought was a type of curry until I saw this film. Well, hey! Hey! Um, yeah. Which is a remake of the, I think, 1959 Charlton Heston version of Ben Hur. Yeah. And what the bloody hell was the point of remaking it? Well, was Ben Hur a remake already? Ben, ben Hur was a, Ben Hur itself in 1959 was a remake, but it was a remake of a film I think from maybe the 20s or 30s or something. Yeah, silent um, film. Yeah, so you, that you can kind of yeah, 19. Basically, there's been Four versions um, of 
of Ben Hur. It was a 1907 silent film, a 1925 silent film. Uh, yeah, the 1907 one will just be a tiny yeah. little 10 minutes thing, right? Um, then the 1959 film, which is an Academy Award-winning film, award winning film. Then there's a 2003 animated version. Um, and then they've done this one. Um, so you can kind of see why there was one in 1959, because the other two were silent films. And as I mentioned, 1907 one was probably just a short 10-minute thing. Mm-hmm. This film just seems to it's kind of a remake with some slight changes to characters that just there's no need for it just make, tries to make it some kind of balls to the wall sword and sandals action epic it doesn't need to be yeah, the, old, this... the old one was that kind of film but it seemed to have a bit of I don't know charm to it maybe it's because mm. Heston's central performance was better than what Jack Houston's was as Ben-Hur but it I mean this one was just this new version when it comes to remakes what's the point of making a remake if you're not going to do anything new with it or or put a twist on it to what the to what the other one done so obviously Ghostbusters remake the twist on it was it was an all-female cast as the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. um so you think they should have done that with this an all-female cast no, that's, of Ben-Hur that's not what I'm saying that's not the point of speaking. I'm just saying no, but they, they, I, yeah, they, came up, they came up with a, and they're meant to be doing the same kind of thing with Ocean's Eleven. So it's a twist on it. It's a different idea. It's a different take. Whether you think that it's a valid enough reason to make a remake or not. So what they they tried something completely different. They put a female cast in for that film. Um, when a film comes along and they do a remake, because say the director said, well, well, when I made it, or when so and so made it 30, 40 years ago, the technology wasn't really there for us to show some of the scenes like we wanted to. Perhaps more acting fantasy or sci-fi you know um i think james cameron left off making avatar for so long because he didn't have the the technology mm-hmm. to make it how he wanted so if he Spielberg if it, did the same i think hmm. with um uh what was it jurassic park yeah, so if it so, so if cameron had made avatar 30 years ago and then said well actually no i'm making it again because now i've got the technology to do it properly how i want to do it how i want to make it fine if you want to do a complete twist on the, the source material than the, what a different film done. Fine. This one just kind of plays it out the same way um, as what the the 1959 version did, but but gives um, Morgan Freeman's character more to do, um, gives a bit more of a happy ending, and gives Jesus more to do. Mm. Because in, in the original, um, they witnessed Jesus' uh, crucifixion. Um, and that in turn heals uh, Ben Hur's mum and sister of leprosy, which still happens in in this film. But they um, give the film a happier ending with Ben Hur reconciling with his adopted brother Masala, who's the the bad guy in the film. Um, and Jesus is in it a couple more times. <laughs> Why? It's not a film about Jesus. It's not Passion of the Christ too. It, it, it's Ben Hur. It's just you're not doing anything new with the film. Mm. Just buy the rights to the 1959 one and show that in cinemas because that was a really good film and let people appreciate that for what it is rather than make some really substandard below par load of nonsense that's overfilled with CGI and just looks terrible. Well, not that it looks terrible, but just, you know, mm. it's a terrible watch. Well, it, yeah, I mean, the original was just an example of extravagance for the um, the 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 theatre company, wasn't it? The, was it MGM? Did yeah. MGM make it? Yeah. So it's basically, at the time, they were just going, look how much money... We... I mean, it's been a tradition of cinema right from, you know, 1917 to probably before through to... to, to well, I guess today still. Um, that These big companies just go, look how much money we can spend. Yeah. Uh, look at us. Aren't we great? We can make massive epic films. You know, and it's just like uh, everything from the from the birth of a nation, you know, the controversial D.W. Griffiths film, which has also been remade, but in a more arty sort of way. Mm. So I hear um, and less racist as well, apparently, Um, through to uh, stuff like Ben-Hur and Cleopatra and all, all these big, massive epics, which were just like ridiculous they would just throw so much money into it. Uh, it. It was just a big vein 
project. And they they do um, they spoof all this really well in Hail Caesar, mm. the Coen Brothers film, where they make light of this kind of bravado. Um, but yeah, I mean, now there's not really any call for that. If anything, the the public's mindset is the opposite, where they see that Daniel Craig is offered $150 million to play James Bond and he turns it down. They go, why are you offering $150 million to this? Or like, I think, was it Inspector? Where they they spent something like $20 million just blowing up cars. Not even blowing up other things, not even buildings, none of the special effects, none of the stunt crew involved. Just $20 million mm. blowing up cars. And people rightly, I think, criticise it for doing stuff like that. You know, the amount of money that is thrown away on these films, the way it's perceived today is completely different to 1950, whatever it was, 59, I think, for Ben-Hur. It's just a, a different landscape. And so to try and replicate that now, it it's just, it boggles my mind about how so out of place it was. Mm. I, don't, I can't understand the need to do it. And I mean... Maybe they just thought about, well, lots of other people are doing biblical epics. You know, we had uh, Noah. We had uh, Gods of Egypt. Why can't we have Ben-Hur? And maybe that was the rationale behind it. Yeah. But and either we're getting way, Passion of the Christ too, aren't we? We are, mm. with Mel Gibson. Yes. Um, That'd be exciting. Hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, so... Pointless remake, don't go and see it. Just stick on the 1959 version if you can find a copy or it's on telly somewhere. Um, what have you seen this weekend? Don't Breathe, I believe, is what you have watched for us. I have, yeah, Don't Breathe. It's the second feature film from Uruguayan director uh, Fede? Fed? Feed? Uh, Federico is his full name. Al Fed, Fed, I'm going to call him Fed. Fede, Fede Alvarez, that'll do. Uh, if his name, regardless of how I've pronounced it, sounds familiar, it's because uh, it should do if you watch the 2013 horror remake of Sam Raimi's 80s classic Evil Dead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Raimi, who, as it happens, also produces Don't Breathe. Uh, and at times it has his, uh, if not fingerprints all over it, then his very recognisable um, musk. Yeah, that'll do. He's Musk. Um, so whereas Evil Dead is like a cabin in the woods possession horror with lots of really well executed tropes of the horror genre, I'm not quite sure how to class Don't Breathe. Uh, it's sort of a home invasion, sort of a psychological thriller, sort of a lot of things, really. It kind of genre spans like nobody's business. Um, the basic premise is that three young robbers break into a blind guy's house to steal his well-hidden stash of money. But wouldn't you believe it, this is one visually impaired ex-army nutjob's house that they really didn't want to invade. Who'd have thunk it? Isn't that a turn-up for the books? Uh, it's tense. Uh, it's intense. It's got twists in the plot at every turn, as well as just being like utterly twisted in a dark humour kind of way too. Uh, there's character, gorgeous individual shots, uh, and great performances to boot. And this, this, the three leads, Daniel Zavato, who I recognise as the cooler guy from It Follows. Uh, Dylan Minette, who is one of these people who's just got a recognisable face, but I don't think I could pinpoint from what exactly. Uh, and particularly Jane Levy, who played Mia in Evil Dead. All three are actually just really good. And they're perfectly cast as the uh, protagonists who who get across the complexities of their characters particularly well. And obviously, um, they all have very dubious morals, but there's enough about them for you to uh, root for them. Like, you learn that Jane Levy's character, especially, has a whole backstory of abuse and, like, a genuine reason to want to get one big payday job so that she can leave the state and move to California uh, and, and clearly like it's a standard thing right that it has to give you this backstory to justify why it's okay for you as an audience to sympathize with these characters even though they're breaking into an old blind veteran's home to steal his 300,000 pound settlement money 
Right. So it has to give you some reason to think, well, I can understand that. Um, the counterpoint to that is that you then have to have a backstory about why it's okay to hate the veteran for what he uh, then does to these three burglars, which, which is to say the torture that he puts them through. Um, I should say as well at this point that the blind man, as he's credited, is played by Stephen Lang, uh, who is a man who is no stranger to playing overly aggressive military blokes, uh, as he did in The Men Who Stare at Goats, as he did in James Cameron's Avatar. And of course, I shouldn't even have to say this because it's so obviously the role that everyone remembers him for, but he was the man who was chased by a T-Rex over a collapsing bridge trying to reach an ever-shrinking time portal before the entire complex exploded in the um, short-lived sci-fi TV series Terra Nova. Of course, that's Stephen Lang, now you know. Um, He is terrifying, even though he barely says a word in the entire film. Uh, The makeup uh, scarring his eyes, just it makes him look like really menacing when they turn the lights out and use that like a night vision camera to see the people in, in on screen. So the lights are off. No, none of the characters can see anything. Um, but they have like a night vision camera that's just like shines really brightly in his face. And it just like, it makes him look like, um, it's going to sound really, I know how this is going to sound. I don't mean to make it sound like it's going to, but it makes him look like a monster. It makes him look like a creature. It makes him look even more like the villain of the piece, right? Uh, and that's not just because he's blind, but it is because of the way that, that he looks and how they've shown that. And But on top of that, it's his movement as well, which just kind of ramps up the tension. Uh, he's a really built guy, Stephen Lang. He's pretty big, despite the fact he looks kind of old and everything. But when the lights are off and he's charging down these hallways whilst everyone else is just fumbling about, or he's kind of skulking off into like the corner of the room and listening. It's just so fucking freaky. Uh, he just plays the bad guy brilliantly. Uh, but like I said, the whole film just like smells of Sam Raimi, either because he's produced it or because Fede Alvarez is uh, such an adoring fan. I'm not sure which is the stronger of the two, but there are scenes like there's in particular. Okay, there's one scene with a Rottweiler which is jumping at a car window with the people inside of it. And there's slobbers going everywhere. The teeth are snarling at the occupants. It just looks so familiar. Um, and similarly, there's one moment in the film um, that I don't, I don't really want to spoil for anybody listening, but it's relatively late on in the film when they're downstairs and it involves... Um, no, I'm not even going to say what it involves, actually, because that would definitely spoil it. But... Fuck me, it's a scene that no sound of mind human being could think up, let alone put into film and into a particularly mainstream film and kind of play as both terrifying and darkly twisted humour, you know? It's got a bit of everything, really. I think it's a film that uh, I could recommend to fans of proper horror movies as well as those looking for a slightly more taut thriller. I think those expecting lots of jump scares or anything like that might be disappointed, but it's definitely not an easy film to forget about, thanks primarily to that one scene later on. I mean, I kind of, I just felt icky all the way home, just trying to get it out of my head. Pro- proper gruesome in in the way that it's portrayed, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a good film. Um, have you got any interest in seeing it, Steve? Um, I do, yes. I expect I will see it once I've got a bit of time. But yeah, mm. it's one that does look interesting. Did you see Evil Dead? Yes, remake? yeah. What What did you make of Evil Dead? I, I liked it as, as a remake, talking of remakes from earlier. Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was good. Not not a patch on the original, of course. But mm. uh, no, it was, it was very good. See, I, I don't know about not a patch on the I think it was pretty... Um, Similar in terms of watchability to to those films. The, the, they had slightly different tones to them, but it was still like clearly Evil Dead. Uh, but I, yeah, I really like that one. I think that I don't know how the two compare because they are quite different movies. Uh, but I just think that 
whilst Evil Dead was an enjoyable experience, this has more stuff to remember. You know, it's, it's there are more m- memorable scenes, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Um, so it's probably going to stick in my mind for longer than uh, than Evil Dead is, even though I did enjoy that. But um, yeah, do you like Sam Raimi in general, or is it just like the Evil Dead films that? No, no, I do. Know? I do like his his work. Mm. Um, Spider Man Three. Well, I mean, there's some exceptions. Isn't there? <laughs> Nobody, nobody's right 100 percent of the time. That's true. Yeah. Um, Shall we move on to some recommendations and to round off the podcast for this week? Um, I'm going to go with Sky Go, and I think it's only been on there a little while, free free to view. Well, not free if you have Sky, but if you've got Sky Go um, or Sky on Demand or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. The Force Awakens is now on there to watch. I think it just moved off of pay-per-view recently and on to just generic viewing. Nice. Um, And what are you going to tell us all to watch, Owen? I am going, I think we've already recommended this not too long ago, maybe even a few weeks back. Um, But uh, I'm picking The Guest on Netflix. Uh, I liked it, okay? The first time I saw it, I thought it's a good film. I enjoyed it in the cinema and I thought, you know, I probably enjoyed um, Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett's previous film, Your Next, slightly more. Um, but on a rewatch, I'm not sure because I've just had so much fun with it this time round. Um, listening to the, I've been listening to the soundtrack lately as well, actually, and um, it, it's a great soundtrack on its own in isolation of the film. It's just, it's there's just just so much about it, which is which is great. Um, I'm really looking forward to Wingard and Barrett's um, Blair Witch, which is due out this week, which we'll be reviewing on our next podcast. Um, and which Brooker saw a secret screening of recently uh, in the past few days. Well, I've blocked him from reviewing it for us because I really want to give it a crack myself. But even Brooker, I can tell you this much, even Brooker, who hated the original film, he hated the Blair Witch Project, uh, even when we made him re-watch it with us for a podcast last year, even Brooker liked Blair Witch. Yeah. So I'm hoping that's a good good sign. It's been picking up lots of positive reviews and comments from from what I've accidentally seen online recently as I've been trying to avoid everything about it. Um, but it seems to be received quite well. So yeah, the guest on Netflix, it's perfect sort of uh, pre-viewing to the, to the new Blair Witch film if you uh, have a spare 80 minutes, 90 minutes on uh, at some point in the next few days. Okay, well that uh, wraps up this week's podcast. But what is coming up next week? Next week we will be joined by Tony Black, <laughs> who's coming on to, to review Blair Witch. We've also got Paul Field, who's coming back as well. So um, no triple bill next week. No, but but plenty for us all to look forward to. Loads, mm. yeah. Uh, just quickly before we go, we want to recommend um, you all to listen to our spin-off podcast, sister podcast, hosted by Paul Field and featuring professional comedian James Mullinger, uh, Underground Nights. Um, Owen can tell you a bit more about this latest episode. Yeah, the latest episode will... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously, it's, as you just said, Steve, it's Paul Field and James Mullinger. Um, they're joined by Dave Valentine. Do you remember Dave? Chris Packett, Dave? Yes. You did the Star Wars podcast with... Yeah. With, yeah. He uh, joined them to talk about all things VHS, really. And they also have, like, amazingly, an interview with Lloyd Kaufman, the uh, Troma guy, Troma Entertainment. He founded Troma, produces all the movies. Um, it's like a, a cult legend, really. Uh, and they got a full interview with him. It's really good. I mean, I've edited it this week, and I was not to knock or disparage Paul or, or Mullinger at all, because they're both very professional, very capable, but... Um, I was just like, it's a really good interview. They get him to talk about Netflix, how he hates Netflix and how it's like hindering all these independent uh, companies and and they make fuck all money from Netflix. Um, talks about, um, it clarifies, actually, I should say, clarifies an issue with one of the Blu-rays, which was quite controversial for fans of Troma. He talks a bit about that and I think we have sort of an exclusive reaction to, to that controversy 
Um, and also, you know, all the general things about talking about his history in film, where he came from, uh, how he got to where he is, appearing in Guardians of the Galaxy and the people he's worked with, like James Gunn and, and all that. And, um, and frequent mentions to the cat tranquilizers he takes and to his raging boner. So there's lots of stuff for people to listen to. Um, but I should also just point out as well with Underground Nights, it's from this next episode, it will be breaking away from the Fail Critics RSS feed. So if you're subscribed to us on iTunes or your whatever podcast app that you're using, or if you get the podcast straight from the website, um, the website will still publish links to the podcast. So if you pick up all of our podcasts through email uh, notifications, you'll still get that email notification. Uh, however, if you're using, a, like I say, iTunes or podcast app, you will need to find Underground Nights on there on its own to get that episode. It won't be available through this RSS feed that you've picked this up from. So just bear in mind, keep an eye out for that. That'll be published in the next few days. Um, and you'll be able to get all the, the past three episodes they've recorded, as well as the new one and future episodes. So uh, that's quite an exciting little thing for yeah. us to, to be involved yeah, in. Yeah, there we go. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.